Welcome to the Counselors of Real Estate's Top 10 in 10 podcast series. In these 10-minute episodes, we'll discuss one of the prevailing 2023-24 Top 10 issues affecting real estate. I'm your host, Jonathan Shine, CRE, CEO and founder of the Real Estate Limited Partner Institute, better known as RELPI, in New York. Counselors of Real Estate are trusted advisors finding solutions to complex real estate challenges. Experienced, innovative, and credentialed problem solvers Counselors resolve and re- resolve. Counselors reside in 22 countries, practice in many more, and offer expertise in 60 real estate disciplines across all asset classes. Each has earned the prestigious CRE designation. Our guest for this episode is Maureen Ehrenberg, CRE, president of the commercial division of Lesson, a real estate facility services firm in Chicago. Maureen is recognized as an expert in digital business transformation and strategic operational redesign. She has led integrated facilities management operations for JLL and CBRE and is a longtime advisor to corporations, property owners, asset managers, and investors on maximizing the performance of teams, properties, and portfolios. Maureen was the subject matter expert for the number two issue on the compilation of Counselor's 2024 top issues affecting real estate, Do I Have to Go to the Office? Occupiers, Obsolescence, and Devaluation. To review all the issues in this year's report, Visit cre.org top slash top 10. Welcome, Maureen. Oh, well, thank you, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. So employers are recognizing the need to bring people back to the office, which is reinforcing the viability for destination-worthy offices. Can you expound on that and provide a couple of examples? Sure. Um, today, many companies are looking at their policies, and frankly, um, it really depends on the corporate culture, the leadership, and why someone would come in. And some organizations really are not having as difficult of a time as others, just based on people you know, wanting to be there, and maybe it's just very difficult to get a job with that organization. But for the lion's share of companies, um, the, the pull between returning to the office and then changing the way people are commuting, working, just the word habits that had adjusted over the past several years, there's been a challenge. I've interviewed several uh, corporate real estate leaders recently, and many of them have said that uh, they typically are working two to three days in the office. Some are pushing four, but they said in reality, Monday and Friday, typically home-based. And in reality, the Monday ramp up, they said in all truth, they feel that, between people dropping off Friday afternoons, slow startup on Mondays, they feel they're already at a four-day work week. So with a four-day work week, looking at going back to the office, they really are seeking um, properties based on three primary reasons. The first one being quality. So employees are expecting, when you say destination worthy, the assets themselves have to be of a very high quality. And what that is doing is, as you can see across the US and most of our major markets, and actually globally, it is pushing uh, more towards obviously the class A buildings, but being class A is not enough. Um, it also has a lot to do with the location. So densification, amenities, uh, proximity to transportation, and then ultimately uh, the flexibility, which means there is a, um, the space is very highly differentiated and whether that's the amenities in the building, the proximity to other amenities, and just where that location kind of mixes with the ability for the building itself to be highly, let's call it consumable, to be destination worthy are the three primary factors. So let me ask you, that kind of dovetails into something that just came out in the Wall Street Journal today. 
and I'll just use the date, January 8th, 2024, that there's a new Moody's report that came out and said, we're at the highest office occupancy rate since 1979 at 19.6%. What does that bode for this particular issue? It is the underpinning of the entire issue. So some organizations have decided to go almost completely remote because if you think about how expensive office space is to begin with, and I'm talking primarily about office right now, this sure. does relate to some of the other products, but ultimately office. Um, it's very expensive. It's inefficient in many ways. People are there, what, eight to 10 hours a day. Um, rents had become exceedingly high as the operating expenses and taxes. And so if you could uh, eliminate your footprint, reduce your footprint, go to hubs, go to some other concept and feel very comfortable with a remote workforce, that has bode well for many organizations. And I'll look at Chicago as a market because it's kind of a standout for loan defaults and a lot of other things. Uh, not all cities have been impacted the same way. Um, but when you look at the market here, if you look at the number of um, occupants that have significantly downsized, going from four or five major you know, office building floors down to one floor, a half floor, and this goes really across um, class A, class B, flight to quality, um, the question is, are people, are these um, organizations really ever going to go back to these very, very large footprints? Because you're seeing it reflected on the P&L. Um, and yet with some organizations, that importance of being in the office, they feel that that is also reflected. So um, I believe that the way that we use office space has changed dramatically. And for the next five to 10 years, it's, we're really redefining what office space means and what the office really is and what the workplace really is. Well, you know, you've never heard anybody say, wow, I really miss my commute, have you? No. And yet a survey was done recently that said the last reason people want to be in the office, it's not the commute. But if you ask anyone, it's the commute. So I don't know where that research was based. It was some of these um, different surveys that were done, one of them sure. uh, attributable to Leesman. But ultimately, it, what people are saying is, there was a trend but prior to COVID, which uh, people were tremendously densifying their space, bringing down the walls, going completely open concept, and really kind of almost crowdsourcing uh, different areas because they did realize that during the week they had ebbs and flows of when the population was in the office. And so what happened was people lost their quiet space. They, uh, there, some of these spaces were not that very comfortable. It's hard to speak on the phone. Uh, access to private space or phone booths was limited. And so people felt in some of these surveys, they get a lot more done at home uh, than they used to have because ultimately feel they're, uh, they've got much more privacy and much more ability to um, just kind of conduct their work the way they need to conduct it rather than in a more of a forced fashion. So space design also, I believe, had a lot to do with it over the prior several years. And people got really used to having that ability to uh, work at their own pace, not have to move their desk, not have to worry about where they're going to conduct a phone call. And that also led to it. But I do believe that one of the primary factors is the commute. And that's why location for properties right now is so incredibly important. So, you know, there are opportunities, of course, for reuse of obsolete office buildings with potential for conversion conversions to residential, seniors housing, healthcare, or hotels. However, such conversions are very challenging. What are you seeing from your perspective? Well, when we look at it more broadly, as we talked about, 
the Class A buildings in a phenomenal location that are highly differentiated are the ones for that right now are um, beating the rest of the product in the market. The ones that are struggling the most are the commodity assets. And the commodity assets are the ones that have got to be repositioned or those assets are going to continue to go into decline. And so what you are seeing with some of these alternative or adaptive reuse, um, you're seeing some of the smaller hotels, for example, in our space, getting converted into multifamily and workforce housing. Um, you are seeing some residential conversions, but they're, it's very expensive. So the rents have to be there. Unfortunately, rents are so high right now uh, mm -hmm. for residents that actually a lot of these conversions are, are penciling out. Um, so that's good news for investors. But um, I think over the long term, affordable housing is becoming a bigger and bigger issue. Uh, across the U.S. and all of our markets. Um, you are seeing some really amazing things happening in older buildings with distinguished spaces. So uh, if you look at some of the old postal uh, service offices that are being converted into beautiful venues for whether they're weddings or conventions or different types of meetings, small, you know, smaller conventions, uh, people, the cities have all kind of come together and redefine themselves and the, the cities themselves are focused on the experience, uh, not only for tourism, but for convention business and everything else. And so as a result, you know, hotels had become very expensive and hotels in a way have a very traditional feel like the old office buildings used to. And many companies are looking for more experiential events, industry organizations are as well. And so you're beginning to see things like in Nashville, um, some, that's an example of you're you're beginning to see a lot of different meetings happening down there with different types of um, converted properties and buildings going back to like, uh, you know, just the old music scene. So you see it in whether it's San Antonio, Chicago, Milwaukee, across the board, um, the buildings that have maybe a, a, a little difference, whether they're old Burnham buildings that have a tremendous amount of interest in beauty the, to create a bigger, larger space that you don't have to um, worry about the HVAC as much of things because it's bigger are easier to convert. Ultimately, though, where I am seeing is, a, is an example of a tremendous amount of um, change is if you go in the secondary and tertiary markets, uh, Hartford, Connecticut, um, smaller towns in the Midwest, they're taking their downtowns, creating co-working spaces. They're creating also venues that are a little unique and very different. And I do believe part of that has to do with uh, the shift in population where you've seen a lot of people move during COVID out to more rural locations. And though that population now needs a place that is competitive to an urban environment like you have in a big city. And so you're beginning to see change. There's even a lot of investment going up the Hudson River, for example, in New York, where you've got some really unique applications happening for co-working type spaces and things like that. I love upstate New York. I was born in Yonkers, so that's up there. No, there you go. There you go. So <laughs> finally, let's talk the, the the real fun topic of devaluation. Uh, recently, a 240,000 square foot office building in Chicago's West Loop sold last month for 89% less than its appraised value a decade ago. Is this an extreme example of the consequences of tenant losses and weakened office demand? Or do you feel do you fear more of the same in the next couple of years? There are several different drivers to that question. And um, I do believe that when we talked about commodity type assets, ultimately that is what could happen. This idea of um, just a continued decline in the value and in the 
ability for someone to undertake something with it. And ultimately, um, the situation uh, is almost like at some point you, you don't know how you're going to turn it around. So you need to get to a cost basis that all of a sudden you're there. And that based on what that person's going in at, that investor's going in at, maybe some way to reposition it. But ultimately, um, you are seeing values coming down. Now, what is unique this time, I think, has a lot to do with the lending markets. And it used to be that you would pretend and extend, and that is no longer the case. So what's happening is you're uh, you're seeing groups closely monitoring. What's interesting is if you go and look at a building, and it, again, depends on the market. If you go look uh, for space in, in downtown Chicago right now, for example, um, one of the first things that the leasing agent, the building manager will tell you is we're a stable building. We own it outright. We don't have debt on the building. That goes before the amenities. That goes before the free gym in the building. That goes before all of the phenomenal amenities in the building because many corporations are wanting to make sure that the asset itself is stable. So this concept is really going across the market where um, uncertainty is really uh, very challenging. And then what that does is it doesn't bode well for the leasing of the asset itself. And so if it's already destabilized, if you've got a tremendous amount of um, physical vacancy, that's one thing. So many buildings you'll look, they've got tenants in the building, but they're, 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 the tenants are paying their rent. They're just gonna be out of there shortly or they're trying to sublet. But when they've got pure economic vacancy, it is extremely challenging. Um, some landlords are willing right now to take the space back if you find if a sub tenant can find a tenant because they'd rather have that direct lease, sure. possibly extend it more control. But ultimately, I do believe that we are going to see um, some incredible devaluation, particularly with the commodity type assets or assets that are having um, a struggle because due to their location, they're not differentiated. The the corporate occupiers um, in general are looking for different types of space. And what that does, when we talk about those three main drivers, when we first started speaking, if you do not have those, you know, those three things, um, I do think it's going to be very, very challenging um, in the long run, unless you can pull something off where you're pulling in a very large tenant. A great example of that, though, is if you look at what happened, for example, with the state of Illinois building on that sale. So Google going into that building is going to have a halo effect across that entire submarket. So that submarket right now in the loop had really those buildings themselves have are many of them are experiencing lower occupancy or they're repositioned, they're older buildings. But if you look at some of the amenities in those buildings, you look at uh, what Google is going to be doing with the Thompson Center, the state of Illinois building, that entire submarket is going to benefit from that. And so I think many landlords should be looking for the upside, what could be happening. But ultimately, I think valuations in general, the headwinds are going to continue. Part of what's also causing this challenge is also the requirements for net zero, where, um, you know, with the mechanical systems, with the windows, with the doors, with many of the different requirements, just that additional investment in addition to what they're going to have to do to just reposition or meet tenant expectations if they don't have a tremendous amount of cash or capital to reinvest in the building, um, those valuations are probably very realistic. And, you know, uh, speaking of speaking of Google, what they did with 111-8 in, in New York City and Chelsea transformed that entire area. The only, the only real issue outside of the valuation is what happens to tax receipts for these cities and how they're going to recoup those losses. And I don't know if you have any closing words on that or any wisdom. 
On the taxation issue, it's going to be absolutely incredible. There's been a debate for years trying to shift more of the burden from the commercial buildings to the residential base. And as you know, politically, that's extremely challenging. But that has been an ongoing advocacy issue in many of the major cities, because if you look historically, the, the buildings themselves were able to absorb those um, just massive real estate tax um, um, bills. However, with this loss in occupancy, and then when people understand the true cost that it's the rent, plus the operating expenses, plus the real estate taxes, that is pushing a lot of these decisions on where people are locating or how much space uh, they're looking to choose. So ultimately, this has got to be a conversation that happens between the city, between the landlords, and it really helps with counselors of real estate, BOMA, the different organizations, National Association of Realtors, to be at the table trying to solve together because one group independently, like a tax assessor, uh, it is virtually going to be an ultimate, you know, downward spiral until it's uh, resolved on what is the best way forward, really sharing the tax burden across the different groups. Well, thank you, Maureen. We're grateful for your knowledge and contributions to this year's top 10 issues affecting real estate report. The future of hybrid work is still playing out what is clear is what is clear shifts in where we work and is taking a toll on both of the office sector and central business districts. Join us next time for another discussion of one of the top 10 issues affecting real estate. I'm Jonathan Shine on behalf of the Counselors of Real Estate. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Top 10 in 10. Thank you, Jonathan.